Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Claudia. And we're the Digi Crime Girls. Hey, yo. And so are you. Yes, you're part of us. We are friends. You just don't know it yet. Hey, listen, remember a couple episodes back or so we talked about Paul Holes? Hashtag hot for holes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I have about an hour and six minutes left. I Okay. When I say I read a book, I listen to a book. I downloaded the audio version, which is amazing because he reads it. And I just love listening to him. And that book is amazing. I just wanted to throw that out there. What is the title of the book again? It's called Unmask, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases. And the cover looks like this. Is it funny that I really want to know more about his wife? Which one? (gasps) He had more than... (laughs) Yes. Really? Yes. Well, it doesn't surprise me that he's been... Had some divorces. And he talks about that. I mean... Oh, he's just so good. So you guys, you have got to, if you love to read a book, go get the book. If you are like me, you don't have time to actually read a book, uh, get the audio version. It's amazing. I love it. Cool. So maybe I will have just a small, teeny tiny little book club corner in our private group on Facebook. (laughs) Run over there and... Join us if you you like to read books. Yes. Yes. And if you don't, just come over to the shit show anyway. So my next book I just downloaded. It's uh, Cases of the FBI's Original Mindhunter. And it's called When a Killer Calls, a haunting story of murder, criminal profiling, and justice in the small town by John Douglas and Mark old shaker and i'm really excited listening to this one so let me see mm-hmm. so if you guys want to read it too or listen to it and we can like you know rehash the book criminal profiling is definitely in your down your alley yes i absolutely love it that's what i would do if i could start my life over there you go But now I'm old and near retirement age. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The only goal is just to be on that nudist beach. Mm -hmm. And we would run into your guy from last week. Yeah. No, we wouldn't because he's he's long gone. Death Row still (laughs) since last week. He's still there. (laughs) I checked. And he's going to stay there. Yes. Definitely. He's probably going to die there before they even execute him. Probably. So. Yeah. So what you got going over there? I'm so excited today. And you know how I love an old timey case. So I'm back with another old timey case. And I'm taking you to my almost hometown of Bremen, Germany. Bremen and Bremerhaven are super close together. We're kind of part of each other, but not really. I mean, we would never admit it. We're our own little state, if you will. We're not part of a big state. You know what I mean? Uh Anyway, grown enough to be on our own, but yet we're part of that. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So today uh, we're talking about Gesina Gottfried and what led her to kill 16 people and mainly her family members and friends from 1813 to 1827. And she was the last person to be publicly executed in Bremen, Germany. Come and take a trip with me back in time. I'm just excited that it's like near your hometown. I was so excited because uh, once we get to it, I'll tell you, oh, I've been there. I know exactly where it is. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm super excited. I just love these old cases. Um, it's always very hard to find stuff on them. But she wrote a letter. This lady, Gazina, she wrote a letter to her friend and it was online it's in a museum in germany and i tried to read it i could not read it how long ago was this well she was executed in 1831 oh so, and she gosh. was born in 1785 so this is old when i say old timey old <laughs> okay well let's get right into it so gazina and everybody called her Gesha, which I'm going to refer to her from now on. I'm not really going to call her Gesina because everybody called her Gesha. Gesina Gesha Margaret Tim was born on March 6, 1785 in the northern Germany city of Bremen. She had a twin brother and her background was pretty modest. Her father was a tailor, um, so they didn't have a whole lot of money. There were actually kind of poor. She was a pretty young thing who had ambitions of making it onto the stage. She wanted to be famous, okay? And Bremen was just not big enough for her. Theater was booming at the time and a generation of German language dramatists were helping to propel actors to a kind of stardom that would not be seen again for decades. Gesha even attended singing and dancing lessons in order to hone her skills. These dreams, however, were not to be. Gesha's father had her married off to a young saddler, which I actually had to look up to see what a saddler is, and that is one that makes, repairs, or sells saddles and other <laughs> furnishing for horses. Why did I not know that? I don't know. <laughs> it's in the word, saddler. So he married her off to young Johann Mittelberg. Mittelberg was not at all supportive of his young bride's ambitions, and he spent most of his spare time in the pubs and uh, drinking and whoring his money away, much to Gesh's dismay. She was not happy about it. Gesha, however, uh, she was not destined to endure Metalberg's neglect for very long. In October 1813, soon after Middleburg admitted that they were destitute, he died of an agonizing illness. Just over a year later, tragedy struck again with two of Gesha's children, plus both her parents, dying painfully in just within two months of each other. Randomly. Her family almost wiped out in two oh, months. Wow. To many in Bremen society, it seemed that death was stalking the poor Middleburg widow. 
taking all the family that she really had. The dignity with which she bore such suffering was remarkable. Indeed, many spoke of the tireless devotion with which she ministered to her dying family, calling her the angel of Bremen. Because she just devoted her time to taking care of her dying parents, her dying children. So she was considered... The angel. Oh, my God. Vomit. Because she was selfless. Of course she was. It must be said that until now, nothing seemed out of sorts. Diseases such as cholera, typhoid, you know, all those diseases were known to wipe out entire families in the European cities of the early 19th century. Gesha just seemed to have more than her fair share of grieving to do. It wouldn't do to have such a young, beautiful woman living the rest of her days as a widow, though, and Gesha soon took up with a wine merchant. Yes, Gesha, go get him. Michael Christoph Gottfried. He was there to comfort her as illness yet again claimed her son as well as her twin brother. Her twin brother showed up in Bremen, sick, mentally broken, and without a job. He was a soldier and fought against Napoleon. And now back home, he claimed his rightful share of their parents' belongings. Well, Gazina was not happy about this, and in June of 1816, she took his life with a dish of fish that was cooked with quite an amount of arsenic. Nobody suspected any thing out of the ordinary though how many people have to die before <laughs> well but it was you know um late 17 something and diseases were around everything was i mean nothing was sanitary in europe they would just dump their shit pans out onto the street out of the window you know it was just not a good time to be alive <laughs> <laughs> At that time, white arsenic trioxide was needed and sold in pharmacies as rat poison and for destruction of any kind of insects, really. Its poisonous effect had been used by criminals throughout the centuries, administered in almost any form. The substance can pass through the skin, be inhaled as a vapor, or given as a powder mixed in food, as it is nearly tasteless. I'm not giving anybody any ideas. I should probably have a disclaimer right now. <laughs> the poisoning symptoms may begin with an irritation and burning in the throat, nausea, followed by vomiting and extreme abdominal pain. I mean, it. I read it's super duper painful. Diarrhea follows after 12 to 18 hours together with a uh, rapid pulse, you know, the collapse and then death. Arsenic can also have cumulative effect as the toxin is built up in the body over a period of time until a small dose appears to be lethal. When Gesha proved to be pregnant though, wine merchant Gottfried would terminate the relationship to this woman 
but through several rounds of poisoning from a jar containing so-called mouse butter, or like uh, what we called it, moise butter, a mixture of fat and arsenic, which her mother had used against uh, rats and cockroaches, Mr. Gottfried was gradually transformed into a helpless invalid. When he finally died on July 5th of of 1817, the two had already finally become wedded husband and wife. But the child she was carrying was stillborn. So here's a little um, background. So she met this guy, right? And he was comforting her, but he didn't want her children around. So she killed her children. But her her father, her father said, this man is not a good man. He's not good for you. So she killed her parents, too. So with the kids out of the way and her parents out of the way, she ended up getting pregnant by him. And he was like, yeah, no, mm-mm. we're not having a child. We're breaking up or whatever. But then he got sick. <laughs> And she took care of him. And she's like, all I want is for you to marry me. And they got married. So... Sounds like a match made in heaven. Yes. After so much death and trauma, it seemed that Gesha was finally spared from death's shadow for a time. The next few years, she lived alone in the comfortable home that she had shared with her recently deceased husband, fashionably dressed yet reserved, stoically bearing the hand fate had dealt. Fate, however, was tempted in 1823 when Gesha's neighbor, Paul Zimmerman, proposed to her. Not much later, he too lingered in agony before dying, but not before he had remembered Gesha in his will. Now, Gesha began to search out her murder victims by chance, without any reason or rhyme or any system. It might be a friend, a neighbor, or a troublesome creditor. But she would poison them, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So she would just go around offering people food? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And it could be in their tea. Somebody would stop by. I mean, she she had money problems. So creditors were banging on her door, okay? And, uh, yeah, she'd be like, come on in. Would you like some tea? And poison them. So, yeah, she would pretty much just kill anybody, but always with some benefit to her as a result. So not just uh, for fun, you know, it had to be something in it for Gesha. Had to be for a good reason. Well, when she was no longer able to keep the house in Pelzerstrasse 37, which she had got through her second husband, Mr. Gottfried, she sold it to wheel maker Johann Rumpf, but with the condition that she was allowed to stay there forever and ever. Like, she's like, I'll sell you my home, but you have to let me stay here forever. Okay. And he was like, sure. Here, she acted almost as part of the family, as a kind of household keeper, maybe, and the children's aunt, because they moved into that house. But he made her promise that she could stay there too, right? Mm-hmm. And then she became this part of the family and the kids called her auntie. Shortly afterwards, Mrs. Rumpf was the next in the row. 
given the mouse butter twice from which he died on December 22nd, 1826 as Gesh's 12th known murder victim. But poor widower Johann Rumpf was now suspicious. And when he one day discovered some white grains in the salad he was served by Gesha, mm. he refused to eat it. And then when the same white grains reappeared a few days later in a dish of ham, he took the findings to a doctor who soon, com- who soon confirmed the content of a considerable amount of arsenic. In March, yes? Now, I've bought arsenic. Mm-hmm. You did. <laughs> and I tried you know, just to see whatever. And you have to put a lot in there to poison someone. In fact, a small amount is good for you. Apparently not. It is. Now, I mean, they didn't die overnight. I mean, she did take care of them. It took maybe a few days. You know, I don't I don't think it was weeks or months. She's like, creditors come back Mm -hmm. tomorrow for tea. Special brew (laughs) on the house of Gazina. So in March of 1928, Gesha Gottfried was arrested. In court, it was proved that Gesha had murdered 16 people. The death sentence was as expected. She was to be beheaded. While she waited to die for three years, early pre Decessors of forensic psychologists questioned Gesha about her motivations. From what we can tell, she was motivated by an almost pathological desire not to lose the image she had built around herself. The women of, like the woman of substance, bearing the tragedies around her with a quiet determination and a fluent poise. She simply could not bear the thought of falling from grace, from becoming less than what she thought herself to be. I am looking at this picture of her, and she Mm -hmm. has this this bonnet. Yes. I think you could rock a bonnet like that. I think I could. I think we could do a side-by-side situation. Mm -hmm. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only sketch uh, a painter back in the day from her time painted her. Uh, I just thought it was actually interesting that she was uh, on death row, if you will, for three years. She was sentenced to death and she was, you know, put away for three years. And that forensic psychologist questioned her about her motives. They really wanted to know, you know, about her brain. And I thought that was interesting for the time given, you know, 1828. Well, in 1828, how many female serial killers were there? Right. She, they said she was one of the first known serial oh, killers. Really? So straight up from my home. <laughs> Brought to you from my home to yours. <laughs> yeah. So a scaffold uh, covered with black cloth was erected on the open Domhof Square at 8 o'clock in the morning on April 21st, 1831. Her time had come. The square, you know, the area where they were was crowded with people and it was complete silence when Gazina entered the podium and was seated on the stool. 
Here she heard the sentence pronounced by a judge, which I thought was weird because she was already sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe he just had to let everyone know again. The executioner then performed his duty and left the head and body in the coffin. This was the last public execution in Bremen, and it made a tremendous impression on all bystanders. Many of them felt sick for days. Mm -hmm. However, Gesina's head was not buried, but it was displayed in the museum at Domhof afterwards to raise money for an orphanage. No. Yes. This reminds me of like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah. And you walk in and I mean, you have to pay to get in, right? Mm -hmm. So all the money goes to an orphanage. It's more kind of like carnies, you know, or they have their back in the day, you know, the woman with the beard or the wolf man come and pay. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah, they were raising money for an orphanage. Okay. (laughs) I don't think I would pay. To see that. Yeah, me neither. There's no way I would pay to go in there. But I think people did. You sickos. What is wrong with you guys? I know. Well, in 1912, her skeleton remained in the Department of Pathology of the city hospital, but both head and body were probably destroyed and disappeared during the bombing of Bremen in the last... Yeah, the reason... Why a young woman could feel pleasure in killing people is hard to understand and explain. Even if much has been written about this case, or not much, and discussed afterwards. So the diagnosis Munchausen syndrome by proxy has been mentioned, as she had explained to the court that the murders had given her uh, the satisfaction, kind almost like an ex ecstasy like satisfaction of taking care of people and you know who or you know you make somebody sick and then you nurse them back to health or you tell everybody else they're sick um what's her name gypsy rose's Mm -hmm. mom was like that yeah and uh that's what they said and munchausen i don't know if you know where that name came from there was a baron munchausen who would travel like all over i don't want to say the world but all over europe and he had like the biggest tales to tell about his journey and his trips and there were none of them were true he just made them up so it was all a lie and that's where the name came from munchausen that is really interesting just thought i throw that in there I didn't even have that written down I guess the um, Gypsy Rose Blanchard is anticipating a 2023 parole hearing in December Mm. could could be could be parole soon yeah that's pretty soon for her she's been waiting a waiting a while yeah minute for sure wow so at the Dome Plots, you will find the Black Stone in the roadway, a memorial of the place on which the scaffold once stood. People are allowed to spit on the stone, and they still do. What? Yes. You go around and spit on a stone mm-hmm. in your home place? Yes. So I will post pictures of this, um, but there is... Do you still have her up? Yeah. 
Let me see real quick. There should be somewhere. Also, uh, they made a death mask of her face, her skull, for doctors to study. Oh, wow. Uh, study her face, the face of a serial murderer, I guess, serial killer. So this is the stone, and it's like in the middle of the city square and if you scroll you'll probably find some pictures with spit on it that is so disgusting so people walk by and you spit on it i just don't know if this is to demonstrate their disgust towards gesha her and her cruel deeds or merely as a you know general protest against execution i don't know but I've seen it. I walked by it. I know exactly where it is, but I never spit on it because I honestly had no idea. So I'm. it's like a black stone that is square and mm -hmm. it's embedded into the street in a brick street. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of framed by lighter stones. Yeah. So it's very noticeable on this street. And you can see people have spit on. That is so gross. <laughs> that is, and it's that like, is disgusting. Your place has the weirdest traditions. I okay? know. I know. But there's a reason for it. There's tradition. There's history. Okay. You guys are pissed <laughs> off all the time and it shows. Okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was my... old-timey case for today. Well, that was very interesting. I thought I want to do a light-hearted one, if there ever is such a thing. <laughs> yeah. Next week, I'll bring you a stone to spit on so you feel like you're back home. So now when they questioned her, the police, mm -hmm. um, they, you know, charged her with 16 murders. Mm -hmm. But she said it could probably be as many as 30. <laughs> Nobody, probably no one ever suspected her. Nobody ever did. But you know, if all my kids, if all your kids, your parents, your brother, your husband just die around you, I'd be like, bitch, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Come on. Yeah. We got to get the that bonnet that she has mm -hmm. make us look innocent. Yeah. And shit. Well, it's because, you know, they got so sick and she took the time to take care of them. Like, and she was grieving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was... She was something. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was good. I just can't believe they put her head in a museum. Yeah. But I mean. Apparently, we do that uh, because I talked about. Well, that was never mind. That was a brain at the hospital. But. Yeah, you have never talked to me about that. <laughs> never. Never have we done that. Oh, you sick ticket. Yeah. Those are your people. Well, here, I thought I, I'll keep it light. <laughs> a head on a stick. Yeah. All right. Um, well, anyway. 
Well, That's a wrap. Like, yeah. If you like this episode, give us a follow. Give us five stars. Follow Claudia around. Spit on stones. If you like this episode, run outside. <laughs> <laughs> and spit on the stone. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening and stay tuned, stay judgy, and um, follow us in all the places, as you know. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye.